technically we have. Oh, there. Oh, there. Now Ooh. Hello. We are live. Yep. I'll move that down a little bit. All right, we'll let everyone get in and get settled. We'll start here in just a second. Uh, I think that's it, basically. All right, so hi, everyone. How many panels have we been to so far today? Is this your third, seventh, what? I don't remember how early they started today. Hi, uh, my name is Ben Philpot. I'm a political reporter covering politics and policy for KUT Radio uh, here in Austin, and I'm a contributing reporter with the Texas Tribune. Uh, on behalf of the Texas Tribune, very happy to welcome you to the fourth annual uh, Texas Tribune Festival and to the State of Community Colleges panel. Uh, I'm joined today by four very knowledgeable people on the topic. So uh, just to make sure we have plenty of time for questions at the end, I'm going to give a quick little bio of all of them and then jump right into everything. Uh, Angela Oriano is Executive Director of the Texas Success Center at the Texas Association of Community Colleges. Uh, before that, she was also Associate Director for College Relations at the Center for Community College Student Engagement at UT Austin. Uh, Richard Rhodes, right here, is a president and CEO of Austin Community College. He's been on the job for three years after spending, uh, it was about 10 years, as uh, the president of the El Paso Community College. Uh, Linda Villanueva on the end there is vice president of academic and student affairs at Brazosport College. Uh, she's held several positions there at the college, including Dean of Instruction, and she has her eyes on college president next. Uh, and Gregory Williams. Did you say that out loud? <laughs> <laughs> Nobody uh -oh. heard. Uh, and Gregory Williams is president of Odessa College. Uh, among his other jobs, he's uh, spent a few years leading a Western Texas College and uh, as a vice president of Midland College as well. Uh, thanks to everyone for coming out today. Uh, a quick reminder before we begin here, so this is going to be about a 60-minute talk. That'll include about 20 minutes of Q&A at the end. You can see we have microphones down front to come and uh, ask your question. Uh, if you haven't already, please either set your phone to vibrate or turn your phone off. Uh, does anyone here have an iPhone 6? Uh, you still have to turn it off. Uh, <laughs> if you want, or not turn it off, just uh, silence it. If you want to tweet out uh, all the great things that we're saying during this uh, panel, please use the hashtag TribuneFest. Not TribFest, that's actually a rock concert in England, I understand, uh, but TribuneFest. Uh, there's also a track-specific hashtag for this event. It's uh, TTF Higher Ed uh, for our higher education uh, track here at the Tribune Festival. Um, so why don't we just uh, kick it off, and all these questions are to everyone, and please feel free to, to jump in and ask each other questions and, and do whatever you want. Um, you know, the role of community colleges is expanding in the state's higher education system. Uh, how is this new role playing out in your own universities? Uh, yeah, you want to take oh. it? So how is the role of community colleges playing out in our universities? Well, how is or? the expanding? I mean, it's, it's, the community colleges are playing an uh, ever more important role in the overall higher education. Yeah. You know, we are becoming the connector, I think, of, of education. Uh, looking at K-12 and how do we connect backwards into K-12 and bring the students forward. Uh, and at the same time, how do we connect and make sure that with the workforce, how are we producing the students and the skill sets necessary for them to be successful and get engaged into employment, living wage employment as quickly as possible. So accelerated pathways into the workforce. And at the same time, for the students that want to transfer on and get a bachelor's degree and beyond, then do we have the right articulation in place? And so it means that we have to be the best partners uh, and that we've got to be sure that uh, we're engaging with all sectors to, to provide the right pathways for the students to allow them to achieve their dreams and go further. Ben, I would, I would jump in and, and say also, but first I'd say uh, thank everyone for being here today and uh, for taking part in this. I think uh, you can see that community colleges are becoming more and more important in our society, in our state, in our nation, and, and that's very important. Uh, I would add to what Richard said by saying we also have to concentrate on those foundational skills. In, in order for individuals to benefit in this society today, they have to be players. And in order to be a player, you have to, to know certain things. You have to have certain foundational skills. And community colleges can help you with that. We're getting better and better at that piece. Uh, student success is uh, becoming more and more critical to us. Uh, we've, I think we've turned that corner uh, in a lot of regards, and I think that 
that's uh, gaining us uh, more and more respect. And, uh, and I think we'll, we'll talk about that much more during, during this presentation. But I think those foundational skills, inviting more people to the party, uh, and, and we'll speak to that more as well. I would add, too, that some of us, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm still trying to get over the shock that you've announced that I want to be a president. <laughs> I'm, I'm very content in the role that I have right now. <laughs> so if, if my boss hears about that. Um, it's already been be, tweeted. It's already been tweeted. Great. Uh, Mimi, I'm sorry. So um, some of us are stretching our mission, um, and not only uh, in ways that still serve our community. So, for example, at Brazosport College, we're one of only three community colleges um, in the state of Texas that have the authority to grant applied baccalaureate degrees. And so not only are we, um, not only do we have a mission that encompasses to provide the um, ability to have non-credit classes, credit classes in the workforce area, um, and transfer students as well, and transfer curriculum, and to provide those basic skills that you were talking about, but also we have two applied baccalaureate degrees that are very tailored to meet our local needs. And what we have is a strong recognition that many of our students are geographically place-bound. 75% of our students are part-time, and um, they're holding down jobs, they're raising families, and for them, it is not easy um, or feasible for them to go way outside of our boundaries to, to get that, that uh, four-year degree. So we're very pleased that we're, be able, we're being able to offer those degrees. I would just add, uh, Ben, that I think that while the role of community colleges is expanding some, um, this is a perfect example, that it has always been um, you know, critical, inherent in the mission of community colleges uh, to be that hub. And I think, again, we've always played that role, whether it was providing literacy, adult basic education, workforce skills training, and, and the transfer function. Uh, so I think my perspective is a little bit different. I think we're finally getting the respect and the props that we do, that we are due. Um, I think that the critical role that community colleges play, um, which is varied, um, not only in Texas, but across the nation, um, finally, um, you know, in large part because at the national level, there has been an elevation um, of that, the important work that we do. So while it is expanding, I think it's what we've always done. I do think that we are becoming more um, systematic about the way we engage with our, you know, beyond the roles, uh, the walls of our particular communities with the kinds of partners that, that both, um, or that really all of my colleagues um, mentioned. So uh, Richard talked about the idea of being that connector uh, between high school you know, further degrees. Uh, what, let, maybe let's start at the, at the start of that connection with the high schools. Um, what, kinds of, of partnerships are, are y'all developing with local school, local high schools, uh, K-12 institutions? Yeah, uh, one of the most important pathways, I think, that I have experienced over the years in, in higher education is dual credit. Uh, and one of the important aspects of that is in order for a student in high school to take a dual credit class, they have to be ready for the rigor. They have to prove that they're ready for the rigor of a college class. And so they have to pass the the uh, TSI uh, in the case of Texas in order to take that class. And what that does is it shifts college readiness down to the high school level so that students are actually taking that test. They know where they fall and they have a chance to improve. And they have an, an opportunity, but they also have an incentive because uh, in many cases, the colleges in the state of Texas waive the tuition. So if the student, I mean, that gives an extra motivation to the student and to the parent. And so dual credit is one of those aspects. Early college high school, so that they can start even earlier. They can start as a freshman in high school instead of waiting until their junior year of, of uh, high school. And then taking a look at, I'll give you an example. Last night we had um, a joint uh, celebration uh, with the Austin Independent School District and Austin Community College called Voices and Visions. And it, it was a poetry writing and reading contest uh, for K through 12, and we hosted it, we sponsored it in collaboration with AISD. We hosted it on our campus at the, at the new Highland uh, campus, ACC Highland, formerly Highland Mall, which we purchased. Um, <laughs> and, and so we, we brought the kids, their parents, their grandparents, their siblings, and they all showed up uh, to read their poetry, and KLRU, a partner, filmed it, and so had uh, film of each one of these kids reading their poetry, and my favorite was this little girl in, in kindergarten wrote this poem about her monkey, and she had her monkey with her. Uh, <laughs> and it, I mean, it's just cute, but what it does 
is it puts um, it puts the thought of being a college student and into the minds of not only those kids and the pathway through the community college, but into the minds of the parents, some of who dropped out, some of who um, have finished but want, are ready to go back to school. Uh, and so those, those types of things uh, happen. Um, so, and the college readiness test, uh, giving it all, to all students while they're still in high school and providing the intervention strategies collaboratively um, with the teachers from the community college and the high school to develop the programs. Before anyone else jumps in, uh, just in case there are people out in the audience who don't know, so the, the purpose of the dual credit, you finish high school with? You could, you could if you're in early college high school, with as many as 60 college credit hours or more. So you can have your associate degree by the time you graduate from high school. But in most cases, I'll say, you know, if, if kids are serious about studying and being prepared, there's no reason why they can't graduate from high school with anywhere between uh, 12 and 30 college credit hours. And, and we'll get to this in a few minutes, but that obviously goes a long way in terms of the cost of college yes. for that yes. student. I, I would add that uh, we were all a bit jealous of Richard and uh, Austin Community <laughs> College because they had their own Dillard's for a while. <laughs> but, uh, but something happened to that. But uh, we, I will add that uh, we at Odessa College, yeah. we, following, that, <laughs> following that early college high school model, uh, we were we have been uh, awarded one of only four technical early college high schools <clears throat> in the state of Texas, and we will open that school next fall. And uh, we're excited about that. Uh, it it uh, ag again continues to widen the opportunities for our students and giving them many options. Uh, as Richard said, the dual credit is very important. Those partnerships are important. But in addition to that, what we're doing in Odessa, we're partnering with our local PTAs and our school district, and we're starting to meet with students uh, in grade eight uh, to start career planning. Because we, we know that we can, we can help you to get that, as Richard said, that average of 12 to 30 plus hours, or if you really want the credential, if you're really serious about it, we can get you there also. But we need to do a better job, I think, of helping students to know where they're going and to establish that. So if we can start that routine in eighth grade where they're doing the career exploration, uh, where they're talking to individuals about what they might want to be when they grow up, uh, little boys, little girls, uh, then that, that I think would add to, to, uh, to enhance our opportunities. In addition to that, I think it's worth noting that a number of our students don't have role models in their communities who can tell them uh, about uh, certain careers. So we have to connect them to those role models and we have to do that systematically. And uh, we're, we're, we're really working uh, to, to engage our students because if your why is big enough, as I often say, you, you need to know why, then you'll figure out the how. But we need to help them establish that why. I would say that one of the most important things that we're doing, and, and as Richard had alluded to, um, we have 25% of our credit population um, is dual credit students. So they make up a sizable part of our, um, our enrollment. And um, we see that uh, doing it nothing but, but growing. And it's such a wonderful opportunity for our students to earn college credit and high school credit simultaneously through this program. Um, but I think one of the most important things that we're doing um, as partners is sharing data with one another and um, really having very frank and courageous conversations about how well students are doing in high school and what happens to them along the way when they enter college. And so, for example, when you find out that only 5% of students who are placed in the lowest level of developmental math um, are able to complete a college level math within um, five years with a C or better, and that 95% of them then are not going to get a degree, then, um, and then you link that back to um, whether or not we are able to improve the pathways with which students are able to complete college level math requirements in high school, um, it becomes much more tangible and, real, uh, and you, know, you realize that it's imperative that they take these classes early on. So we're trying to do everything that we can to encourage um, our high school partners to support the students to, to get these classes done early so they can avoid uh, the remediation later on. And I'd just like to you know, mention that my perspective is somewhat different. I think you know my three uh, co-panelists are here sort of representing right your individual institutions. And, and the position I occupy with the Texas Success Center and part of being part of the association is really more at that sort of state level. So there are, and we're here to talk about the state of community colleges. And like our students, the state of our community colleges in terms of their readiness 
to serve high school students and to strategically form, you know, partnerships to do the kind of regional collaborations varies quite substantially. And I think that's why, um, in particular, and I see some of my funders here in the room, um, we're really interested in, in helping to support the center. Um, we are really focused on working with those colleges, those individual practitioners that have promising evidence-based practices and really helping to bring those things to scale um, and, and, and creating sort of alignment because there has been a, a long, a rich, um, deep history of very important student success work here in Texas, you know, colleges that were involved with things like Achieving the Dream. Um, now more recently, um, Texas Completes. And again, I, I know that these are sort of the usual suspects, um, but we do have a large group of colleges, probably about 20 colleges that have really been on the periphery of that work. And so we need to help bring those colleges up, you know, um, so that they can, can do this same level of work. And so that's going to require some additional um, investment and commitment uh, to those colleges to help them. But that's really the, the overarching and primary charge of the center. Um, and I think I mentioned to you when we were in the green room that um, we'll be kicking off the largest ever convening of Texas Community Colleges tomorrow. We have 45 of the 50 districts sending teams to a working institute where they were required to do advanced data collection to look at those data in the context of a specific problem, or in this case, we've identified three sort of mini institutes. So we have teams working on the new Mathways project, which is about, um, you know, um, really the modernization of mathematics. Put simply, it's the bottom line is college algebra isn't the one and only answer for all students, and that aligned, that work is perfectly aligned to what's happening with our secondary partners in, with re, in, with respect to House Bill Five. We're also looking at the new TSIA, that new assessment, and what that means for our students and how to, uh, again, look at that in a thoughtful, systematic way to say, students with these kinds of characteristics, what's the best and most expeditious ways, right, to serve them, to, to develop, uh, to expedite them through the developmental sequence. And then also helping colleges to look at doing the strategic planning that's involved, that sort of internal uh, self-assessment to become a Texas Completes College. So while we do have a, um, a really strong uh, group of colleges, you know, we're not a Texas, I mean, we're not a system here in Texas, we do have colleges that we really need to bring along. And, and with this sort of leadership, I feel confident that we will be able to do that and ultimately help to move the needle. Ben, I would close that thought with, uh, I, th I think we, we need to, we, we're seeing, and I think we need to see more of uh, public schools, particularly high schools, starting to think about college early on and starting to take full advantage of those last two to three years in high school. I think we've seen a situation in, in some districts where when a student becomes a senior, that student starts to shut it down, mm -hmm. uh, take time off. Uh, we're looking at periods where we can go and have double lunch periods and all of that, we need to really start focusing on college. There needs to be a blending or a blurring of the lines between high school and college where students see that once I've completed my high school obligations, now it's time to focus on college because I'm not finished until I can get a credential uh, that I can receive at a community college or uh, that I can transfer to a university. And I would just add, you know, Linda, you mentioned about the importance of having those um, critical conversations, which are sometimes pretty scary, right, to sit down with your secondary partners and to look at the data. But certainly we, what we know about in Texas is in the, in the places, in the regions where that is happening, that's, again, where they're seeing the greatest success in terms of um, not only early college high schools, but other, you know, important curricular alignment and, and making sure that that students do everything they can while they're still in high school. Um, but those, we need to teach people how to do that too, because there is a, there's a methodology to that. For, and for us, I think, you know, I'm, I'm a data coach for Achieving the Dream, and so I help direct the conversations at other, at other colleges. But one of the most important uh, things that we need to understand is it's not about blame. Um, it's about understanding that uh, we have a system that has resulted in um, a number of outcomes that are simply not satisfactory. Um, and, you know, when we share this data with our high schools and we share this data with our own faculty, 
Um, we understand that this is national data as well. So uh, we look at our own completion rates and you know, while we're improving, it's certainly not at all where we need to be. Um, and there are a number of, uh, of, of systemic changes that we need to make within our institutions and across the board. And we're doing as much as we can to work together and partner together to make sure that there are fundamental high impact practices that we're implementing at our institutions to make this um, easier. But it's not about blame. Well, I was just, in talking about that state <coughs> conference that you're, you're going to, a couple of you, all of you are going to? Okay. Um, uh, uh, if you had to get up and give your, you know, one, two-sentence answer to how is the state uh, of community colleges in front of all these people, what would it be? I would say improving. Um, that we're learning from each other and we're learning from the data. You know, I, I take myself uh, as an example, and if I were to go back 10 years ago, and the, the one piece of data that I used to focus on as a college president, I was guilty, and I admit it, uh, and I am um, reformed now. But, uh, you know, the, the one piece of data I looked at was how many students did I have enrolled on the 12th class day? Uh, because that's where I got my funding from, for the most part. Uh, and then, uh, you know, as we began to participate in Achieving the Dream, and we began to look at the data, uh, and we began to have these courageous conversations with each other, um, on a, you know, not only on a statewide basis, on a national basis, but also the, having that conversation with our faculty and, and looking at the data and saying, okay, what are, the, what are the drop points? Where are we losing our students? Uh, what's happening to them? How many of them are completing developmental education who test into it? How many are completing their first college-level math course? And, you know, and so you begin to, to look at that data and you talk to each other and you compare the data and, uh, all of, and our focus has changed. Uh, and so we are, if you take a look at the legislative agenda of the Texas Association of Community Colleges, and the last uh, at least two legislative sessions, what we take to them is all about student success. And it really has to do, we're not just going there and saying, we, give us more money. We're saying, these are some policy issues that if you were to make some changes in policy, this could help student progression. Uh, and so we're focused now um, almost entirely on how do we help students become successful in their progression uh, through K-12, through the community college, and into higher, the rest of higher education. I would say that we're in a state of transition, uh, that uh, we have a number of promising practices, and we have a number of ideas, and we have some things, uh, as Angela mentioned, that some of the colleges are doing, and we, we need more and more to continue in their development. But I think it's a, it's a critical moment for funders to, to offer that support because we could really take off. We could really do some special things. And when I say funders, I include the state of Texas. I think it's, it's a time when we could really do some really mm -hmm. good things if we have the right support, if we can get that boost that will help to get us into orbit because we're, we're willing. And we've gotten the message, as Richard says. We, we, we realized that we needed to make changes. We've gotten the message. If we, we're, we're, we're fighting that fight. If we can get the right support at this critical time, then I think we could do some really special things. And I would say that, uh, you know, I would agree we're improving. We're in a, you know, we're in a state of transition, but I would, I would maybe escalate it and say we're in a state of crisis. Um, and it's very difficult for me to, you know, look at numbers at my institution, at other institutions, and to see that, uh, we continue to take money from students uh, who we know have a very poor chance of succeeding in, um, in some of the classes that they enroll in, and it's time to fundamentally change our philosophy of the way we view um, the students that, that we serve. And um, you, know, you may be teaching a college-level course, but you're a developmental educator, um, and college is fundamentally different than um, high school or anything else that you've done, and it requires a, uh, you know, a special set of knowledge, skills, and abilities. And if we don't do everything we can from contact to completion to provide students with those knowledge, skills, and abilities, they will not succeed. Why don't we pivot off the crisis and let each of you talk about um, the best thing you're doing right now? Because uh, we, we were having a conversation in the green room, and some of this stuff was really fascinating. And, and so please, show off a little. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Do we have to limit it to one? <laughs> yes. Uh, you know, uh, so many great things that, uh, you know, somebody at my institution is going to get upset if I say one, but so can I have two? Uh, okay, two, okay, if two. you do quick. Okay. So we, uh, two of them that recently that we have committed to is one is 
called Degree Map. Uh, we're working with uh, a local firm called Civitas Learning and have developed a, uh, an advisor application uh, that uh, has really enhanced the ability for advisors to work with students. And Greg was talking earlier about making sure that we give students the right information to make the better choices, uh, whether it's in career advising and so forth. So one of the things we recognized at ACC is we, we didn't give the tools, we didn't put the right tools in the hands of our students and in our advisors so that they knew where they were on their pathway, their trajectory uh, to success. And so working with this, we came up with Degree Map uh, because what we found is an advisor at ACC, uh, because they didn't have the right tools, they were spending a 30 minute advising session with a student with almost no conversation. Most of it was because they had to go to hard catalogs, multiple catalogs. They had to go to different screenshots and uh, schedules. And the whole time it was, the intent was just to get them registered for a class in the next session. And when we, when we flipped that and implemented Degree Map, not only do the students have the opportunity to see exactly on one screenshot where they are and uh, on their pathway, so 80% complete on your pathway to this degree, uh, these are the courses you have to take. This is when you can register for these courses. This is what it's going to cost you to finish this degree plan. And if you want to switch over to um, career coach, these are the jobs in the Central Texas area. Uh, and this is the average pay for those jobs in the Central Texas area. So when you, when you can do that and provide that information, then all of a sudden the conversation changes in the advising meeting to such things as how many hours are you working? Uh, how many kids do you have? You know, what's your daycare schedule? What, you know, so, and what, what do you want to do when you, when you get out? Uh, what, what job do you want to have? So it, all of a sudden it, it changes the whole conversation to something that helps a student understand where they are, but where they're going and how they're going to get there. Uh, the second one is we know that we have to have accelerated pathways for students and that if we continue to put them, if they're in developmental mathematics, as an example, we continue to put them in 16-week sessions. And if they test into the lowest level of developmental math, it's going to take them at ACC three semesters before they can take their first college-level course. And many of those students would never make it through that. So accelerated pathways, one of the things we built into uh, the former J.C. Penney's uh, <laughs> is uh, we call it the accelerator, capital A, capital C, capital C, accelerator. So it's the accelerator, but it's a pathway for students to register and start and be assessed where they are, what they know, and then let them work and go as far as they can during a semester. And if they can get through the equivalent of two classes, three classes, and get into um, college-level math in one semester, let them go and help them get there and provide the tutorial support, the, the faculty support to be right there so that in a traditional class, what has happened is, is a student will go home at night and do their homework and they get stuck and they get frustrated and they give up. In this setting, they're doing their homework in the lab. It's a 65,000 square foot lab, 604 stations. It is the largest um, learning lab in the, in the galaxy. And, and they have the ability to get that just-in-time help, and that's exactly what they, they need. I, I would add uh, to, to Richard's point before I talk about uh, some of the, the great things we're doing, but I would add that that information piece is so important. Uh, I, I was, uh, when, when I graduated from high school, I, I was one of the first people in my family, neighborhood, area to really go to college and, and receive a degree. And uh, I, I sort of started college with the hope, because it was college. And, and at that time, I was I planned to go to UCLA because they had a really good basketball team. I couldn't quite get in uh, to, <laughs> to make that team. But, but uh, if you recall John Wooden's era. But uh, we were, I, I had no idea what it would take to finish uh, a college degree. So I, I met with a a counselor who mapped it out for me and who showed me what it would take. And in high school, I was involved in everything. I did football, basketball, track, honor society, uh, choir, band. And when I realized that I could go to school half a day 
and finish school quickly and then go in the summers. I mean, I finished a bachelor's degree in three years because I just kept doing what I was doing in high school because I didn't, I wasn't on teams and things like that anymore. So once you find, once you see that it's doable, then that, that's amazing. Uh, we, well, a couple of quick things I'll mention about our institution. We have one program that we call the Drop Rate Improvement <laughs> Program, which uh, has enabled us to win many awards. We're a finalist for the STAR Award that will be given in November. And in, through that program, we have a 94% uh, course completion rate for our students. When a student starts a class throughout our campus, they complete those courses at 94%. That's one of the highest in the United States. And uh, we have a program that supports that. In addition to that, those students are supported and they receive, they have a success rate of over 72%, which means they're making either C or better in those courses. When a, when a student signs up for a class at a community college, we really don't know whether they're there to take an English course that they're going to transfer to some other place, whether they're coming back for a career enrichment, whether they're seeking a degree at our institution, whether they're planning to use our institution for a while uh, to learn a few things and then transfer to another community college. Or where, we don't know those things. But what we do know is when you sign up for a course, you intend to finish that. There was a moment in time where you said, I'm, you told mama or daddy or sister, brother, wife, I'm taking this class and you really intended to have success and you intended to finish that class. So we build on that. We built this program around that. Uh, we're in the middle of the, the oil fields in West Texas where a person can make $14 an hour working at McDonald's. And uh, we just had the best enrollment that we've ever had for a fall. Uh, th things, are, things are tremendous. And what we do, that program is built around faculty members connecting with, uh, with their students. First thing we say, simple thing, you need to know the names of every student in your classroom, every student. And you need to know the names before the first day of class. Now that takes work. That takes a lot of investment, but that's one of the, the key components and, the, and there are a, a number of others. Another thing that we're doing is uh, we're, we've made a move, a major move to where we're going from the 16 week semester predominantly to uh, two eight-week terms within that 16 weeks. I know it is written somewhere that everyone should go for 16 weeks in a fall and spring semester. I don't know exactly where it is written. I know it came from on high, but I don't know. <laughs> I don't think it, it might be New Testament. Testament. Yeah. I, I think so. And, and, and we've done that for years and years, and all of us, we, we, we continue that. But what if, and, and then our students take four or five courses. But what if we broke that into two eight-week terms and said, you can focus on two classes during this first eight weeks? And then if you complete that, you focus on two more classes. And then you can mix and match those. Our students are loving that concept. We're having uh, tremendous results. We're halfway through the first eight-week term, and uh, the reviews are, are outstanding. But again, we try to challenge the norm. We try to push the envelope. Because we're, we don't believe that educating 25% of the population is good enough. We think it should at least be 50, and then we'll have another conversation. But how do you go from that 25 we're at now to that next 50? You have to be innovative and creative. We can't just continue to do the same things that we've always done if we're going to change our state, our country, the world. So this is a tough question, and you know, if I were creating an album of the best things, it wouldn't be called The Greatest Hits. Um, it'd be probably called this is the best I could do. Um, so, um, but but it, I guess, you know, we're, we're a part of, of, of something that all 50 community college districts are a part of called New Mathways that uh, uh, was the, the, the brainchild of, of Uri Treisman here at the Dana Center at the University of Texas. And um, it's based upon the philosophy that students, as, as Angela was saying earlier, um, challenges the premise that college algebra is not the end all course. Um, that defines whether or not a student is going to earn a degree. And in fact, when we look at um, our degrees, 75% of them do not require college algebra anymore. Um, and yet almost 100% of them did in the past. And it simply is, is not necessary for them to be successful in their careers or to transfer on to a university and be successful. So uh, we've seen dramatic increases in the success of students and the progression of students being able to complete that college level um, or the developmental sequence and move on and successfully complete college level math uh, because of that, because we've opened up additional pathways. Uh, but the other thing that's been a real game changer for us has been a student success course called Learning Frameworks. Um, and uh, that started in 2007. It's now served over 9,000 students at our college. It's been scaled such that 
All of our first time in college students have to take it. It's kind of on the job training to be a successful student. Uh, teaches you basic things like uh, how to take notes in a college class, how to uh, manage your time. Um, uh, but it also teaches critical skills like how to, to have tenacity and grit and persist no matter what. Because as Greg was saying, these students don't take college classes to fail. They come to actually complete something. So uh, we help them to understand that when they're struggling, that they need to try harder. But when they are stuck, they need to get help. Um, so, and we also tell them, you know, these are the resources that you can use when you're struggling. So um, that has, as a Hispanic-serving institution, one of the finest things that we were able to say is that uh, Latinos are not only um, closing the gap um, with their counterparts, their Caucasian counterparts, but now they're outpacing for the students who successfully complete that course. And uh, that's been very uh, meaningful for us, and it also led to our recognition as the a STAR Award recipient for the Texas Higher Education Coordinating Board, um, a finalist uh, for Excellencia in Education, and we were recently honored and recognized um, by the Aspen Institute as a top 10 community college um, for the second time in a row. So we're very pleased about those things. And now you have all these ideas to take back. To Indeed I do. <laughs> just continue my work, yeah. So I would just say very, very quickly, um, and this is really not a flip response, but it, uh, I think everything we're doing is the best thing that we're doing. And again, because we operate at the you know, higher conceptual level, um, the primary focus of our work is, is that of being a convener. It's about making sure that we get the right people to the table, you know, expert, practitioners, researchers, whatever, whatever is called for. And because of the space that we occupy, it, it really is safe and we're able to um, get people together that maybe in the past didn't always work so well together or didn't know that they ought to be working together. And because we're at the state level and, and have such, you know, we're getting our tentacles sort of into as many places as possible, we're discovering, you know, pockets of absolute brilliance and genius, you know, models across the state then where we can bring people in and say, okay, let's talk about how to scale this up. You know, again, those evidence-based promising practices. So it's really great work. So before we turn it over to uh, the crowd, so start thinking of your amazing questions for us. Um, you know, we, we were talking about the, the, the connection role. We started with the high schools. We've talked about what you're doing on your campuses. So what then are those connections that you're needing to make, are making with, uh, with universities? Yeah, we started two new, at uh, ACC, we started two new programs uh, that over the past year and a half. Uh, one with the University of Texas at Austin and one with uh, Texas State University. Uh, the one at UT Austin is called the PACE program. And we started with a, a small cohort to make sure that we worked through all the bugs. But in the state of Texas, we have what's called the top 10% rule. So if you're in the top 10% of your high school graduating class, uh, you've pretty much been told you can go to the university of your choice, but that's not true at the University of Texas at Austin. If you're in the top 7% uh, now, uh, you're pretty much guaranteed you can get in. But if you're in the eight, nine, and 10 percentile, unless you have a, uh, an unreasonably high ACT, SAT score, you're probably not gonna get in. And so we started a pathway through ACC uh, called the PACE program that allows a student to be co-enrolled. And so they will take uh, their core courses. They'll take 12 hours a semester with uh, ACC on our Rio Grande campus, the downtown campus, which is just a few blocks away from the UT campus. And they'll take one class uh, on the UT campus and they're co-enrolled at both institutions. And uh, once they finish their core or their associate degree, then they are with a 2.5 GPA, they're guaranteed transferability into the University of Texas at Austin. And while they're co-enrolled co students, then they get to participate in activities at both institutions. Um, and so it's a, really a win-win-win. And then we started this, a very similar program with Texas State University uh, because we built a new campus in Kyle, which is just about five miles um, uh, north of the San Marcos campus of Texas State. And so that program started this uh, fall semester with about 250 students. Same premise, uh, they'll take uh, their core courses with ACC. They'll take uh, three hours on the Texas State campus. And matter of fact, they live in the dormitories on the Texas State campus. They're bused to our campus on a daily basis, complete it and guarantee transferability of all coursework taken, uh, at least with a 2.5 GPA 
And, and so it's working very well. The PACE program at UT Austin was doing so well that we increased the numbers for this fall semester to, I think, uh, I was talking to President Powers last night, 220 students. Uh, and that will continue to grow uh, as we get more and more experience with it. Uh, he was telling me last night, though, that he taught a, uh, President Powers taught a, um, I know, almost like a college success course with the PACE students, some of the PACE students. So he had a mixture of some of the UT students and some of the PACE students. Uh, and he said it, it's phenomenal to hear these students talk about their experience at ACC uh, and being able to take the courses they want with the knowledge that they're guaranteed transferability. I would add that we're, we are doing uh, very, very similar things with guarantees with the University of Texas of the Permian Basin in, in our backyard. Also, we're working with Texas Tech on uh, some of those same kinds of arrangements, so we, we have those same types of pairings for our students. We also have a, an agreement with Texas A&M University for, for our biology students who, who uh, meet the, their criteria and, and transfer there uh, with scholarship dollars available. But I'll share one other thing. It's an interesting partnership. Uh, we, we have a, a great and amazing partnership with Chevron. And uh, we, we do a lot of things with workforce training and, and preparation work there. But uh, we had uh, someone from Oklahoma State University reach out to us, and they were told by Chevron that we were the college that they needed to contact to talk about how to, to enhance what they're doing. So I thought that was really neat. Uh, to have that kind of arrangement. It shows that we, we do certainly work with the universities, but we also work uh, very well with, with our uh, partners in industry and uh, trying to be the best that we can be. And, and I guess outside of the top 10%, top 7% rule, uh, this is also a, an issue of helping lower costs for the students, the ones that are starting doing the majority of that work at a community college and then transferring on. Yes, depending on where a student's going, and, and we've been able to tell this story for a while, and, and you can tell this story all over the state. If a student is able to get X number of hours from a community college, they can not only go to the, their uh, university of choice, but they can also buy a new car on their way <laughs> <laughs> and uh, to drive while they're there. I mean, you can, and, and more than that as yeah. well, you can say. You can get a test. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Almost, depending on where you're going. Yeah. So they can drive that car to the university and they're just as likely to be successful, if not more right. successful than, their, than the students who start off at a university. So uh, they're receiving a wonderful quality education right at, right at their homes, um, saving a lot of money. Um, for us, it's, it's one of sharing data and um, asking for our university partners mm -hmm. to give us data so that uh, uh, we can tell students... Um, you know, even if they didn't intend to earn a two-year degree, that uh, along the way while they're at a university that, hey, by the way, you've earned a two-year degree and you didn't know it. So university sends us back data and uh, Sam Houston State University is probably the best partner in helping us to uh, reverse um, uh, reward our, our students with those, those degrees. Is a, uh, one, again, one of the primary foci of the, the work that we're doing at, at the center working to help develop a research agenda for the state. And so by working with a number of organizations, you know, other nonprofits, folks like the E3 Alliance, Educate Texas, working with funders, um, the coordinating board, we had researchers from CCRC, SESI, four years, two year colleges, to really um, try to discern what are the big questions? What are the big unanswered questions? And then uh, we're working now to operationalize, try to figure out what that research agenda should be. But there are a couple of specific things that we're working on too, again, at the state level. Um, you know, I said the center is largely involved with practice, but not exclusively. So we're partnering with a group of students from the Bush School, and uh, they're going to be undertaking a research study for us that's focused on why so few students use the existing policy around field of study curricula, right? Because it, it's on the books. It's something that certainly uh, should be utilized. And yet we found most recently 2% of students who transfer and graduate actually took, you know, took advantage of that existing policy. So rather than just advocate for something new, why don't we try to figure out why this isn't working and then help colleges both two and four year to, to improve that. 
Um, we're also through the work uh, with our good partnership with the Dana Center, the new Mathways project. Uh, starting about a year ago, we began to convene those eight colleges that were co-development partners in that new Mathways project and their four-year partners. <clears throat> because not surprisingly, once we started to get into implementation, there was that advising sort of pushback about, well, we, we maybe theoretically we agree with the modernization of mathematics, however, but our four years won't take it. Well, so what we did is we did these regional convenings and we found out that's not always true. It's a lot of it is myths. We don't realize that many of the four-year institutions are already um, imploring or you know, using what we would call a pathways approach or, you know, to advising their students. So moving forward, we will build on that because the, the reality is uh, if you can get math faculty to agree, to agree on curricular alignment, you're about 95% of the way there. So we hope over the course of the next year to do regional convenings uh, where we focus on some other disciplines and really use those. There are about seven two-year and four-year institutions that are really well positioned to show the rest of the state, you know what, this can, this can be done without statewide policy. By the way, I'm not saying that's a bad idea, but I'm, I'm, I've got to get work done right at the practical level. And I think finally it's important to say, because I'm not sure everybody here realizes, but um, Texas community college enrollments uh, represent one out of 10 in the nation. It's a big deal. So what that means is if we can move the needle in Texas, right, then we'd really do, um, you know, help to move the needle nationally. And I think sort of to sum up um, what we've all talked about today, the state of Texas community colleges is that we are in transition, maybe sometimes in crisis and not quite where we want to be. But <clears throat> in true Texas spirit, uh, we have the, the courage to challenge ourselves to do better and to really be self-reflective. And at the end of the day, that means reimagining the way we do education, really rethinking everything from what it is to do academic advising, to teach to developmental math, and what are new curricular offerings like student success courses. So I'm hopeful. Yeah. You well, know, I, uh, oh, we, if I could add one more thing. You know, we talked about uh, a lot of the good things that are happening, and, and there are. There's always room where we can have improvement between um, the community colleges and the universities. And one of those is, is a part of the platform for the Texas Association of Community Colleges going to the legislature last time and going forward at the next time, as well as we have a statewide organization called the, the Texas Student Success Council, which is made up of individuals um, outside of education from the Texas Association of Business, from foundations, um, from the legislature, uh, from business and industry who come together on a quarterly basis to address what are policy issues that could be changed to help. And so during the last legislative session, uh, both TACC and the Success Council made recommendations for uh, statewide, for all institutions, community colleges and universities to use what's called a common course numbering system. Mm -hmm. uh, it gets confusing for students if at one institution you call uh, call it English 1301 and that's freshman composition, but at another institution you call it English 1505 or something. And you, sure, a student can do crosswalks, but when they, they're not sure what institution they're going to, and they're doing multiple crosswalks between uh, ACC and Texas State and UT and Texas Tech and you name it, and it gets confusing. Yeah. And so we can eliminate some of that confusion uh, very simply uh, by coming up with a common course numbering system for the entire state. Uh, the secondary piece. I think is, that we're against Common Course here in Texas. Oh no, that's Common no, no, Core. That's, sorry, <laughs> never mind. Yeah, yeah. That's fine. Yeah, you're yeah, fine. Funny. That's all right. And then statewide articulation um, on programmatic areas. We do have the field of study, and, and we can probably use that uh, more. But uh, this, you know, through the coordinating board and the funding from the Lumina Foundation, we did a about a five-year study called Tuning to take mm -hmm. a look at engineering and doing. Uh, a statewide articulation on, on engineering programs, all of the engineering programs. And that was a great exercise because it brought the faculties from the community college and from the universities together to identify what are the common expectations uh, for those. But it never got implemented because it didn't have legislative teeth. Mm -hmm. And so I think, you know, you come to a point to where you say, we can work hard together, 
but we're not going to get statewide buyout buy off and to, unless it's legislated and so eventually you have to say we've got to have the legislature's help all right we have a few people lined up i think you were uh, squatting first by the microphone so please go ahead <laughs> well we've talked a lot of different topics but the one i didn't hear about is the role of adjuncts and being the community college more so than a four-year college i don't know what the percentage is maybe 50 percent of your faculties may may be adjuncts what is their role how do you integrate them in the whole piece that you're talking about? Yeah, uh, I can tell you at ACC, 50, you're right, 50% of the classes taught at Austin Community College are taught by adjunct faculty and 50% by full-time faculty. Adjunct faculty are critical to the success. And so uh, the areas that you've got to make sure that you're, you're addressing are number one, do they participate? Do they have the opportunities to participate in shared governance? Do they have the opportunities to, um, to receive adequate compensation and benefits? And uh, do you include them in professional development? And I would say we're doing well. There's always room for improvement uh, in all three of those areas. Uh, but, but that's, I mean, those are the ones that we want to kind of target as uh, the most effective way to embrace the adjunct faculty and bring them into the institution. Yes. It's the, <clears throat> it's the highest in the state uh, at ACC right now. And um, um, I'm trying to think of what the, what the amount is. David Albert probably knows exactly because he's one of our adjuncts and he's, Next up at the uh, at the mic. <laughs> ben, may I say something? Yeah, sure. I, I was here in the previous session, so it's clear that you have an interest in the role of adjuncts in education, as well should we all, because we know that they, you know, they teach a large percentage of our courses, and in fact, in most community colleges, the typical student experience is that of being part-time enrolled and being taught by a part-time instructor. So I think we can all agree that it is, again, a critically important issue. And so as we do that sort of self-assessment, right, as individual institutions and as a state, and think about how is it that we need to rethink the way we do education, naturally part of that discussion um, should be, and certainly is, how do we also strengthen the role of, of our adjunct faculty? It's all about not only engagement of students, but also about engagement of part-time and adjunct faculty. One, one thing I would just add, uh, ours, uh, I, I couldn't tell you the exact dollar amount, but it's a percentage of the full-time faculty salary scale. Uh, okay. well, th th thank you, uh, David Albert, ACC Department of Government. My boss has already introduced me. Um, and yes, I do have a question on, that follows up on what she's asking. Uh, as far as salary, it's, I think it's variable depending upon experience and so forth, so I don't think there's an exact number one could give. Um, well, but re very much related to what she's getting at is the issue that the vast majority of adjuncts, do, uh, and I'm, I would refer to them as contingent labor, really, uh, have no health insurance benefits. And that is true at ACC, and it is true at community colleges across the nation. And it is a deplorable situation where adjuncts are trying to teach, to provide students with the opportunity to, to achieve the American dream, and they're having the trouble to actually being able to model that because they can't, of uh, their low salaries and their, the, access, the lack of access to health insurance. So I'd like to ask Dr. Rhodes and, um, and the others on the panel, what, what can you do to increase both the salary and the benefits uh, and the health benefits of the adjunct uh, populations at, at your schools. Thank you. I would just say, from our standpoint, it, that's a continuous uh, conversation uh, that takes place throughout the year that you're, you're constantly taking a look at, uh, you know, we have three sources of revenue that fund community colleges in the state of Texas. We have state appropriation that has been steadily Shrinking. declining uh, <laughs> over the last 10 Shrinking. years. Yeah. And then we have student tuition and fees and we have local property taxes. And so 
a question is in always trying to establish what the budget is is um you know we have absolutely no control over state appropriation um we have very little control over property taxes uh once you have a cap established by uh the voting public so therefore all you have left um is student tuition and fees and so you always have to balance that and take a look at the revenue side versus the cost side and how do you how do you do the right thing for both students and for your faculties and staff uh, in that balancing act and it there's not a uh, crystal ball uh, silver bullet answer to that it's it's a continuous conversation Richard, let me add i i, uh, I don't I, you might have mentioned this but i think we need to remind everyone that our full-time faculty uh, their their uh, benefits uh, in are, are paid by the state of Texas. So we don't we don't make those decisions. So those that's those are dollars we receive well, we, from the state of Texas. 50 50%. They used to be yeah. paid 100%. Yeah. But 90% I would just I don't know if we talked about this, but 90% of our operating costs are personnel. And so um, a large percent of our budgets go to supporting these types of costs and um, you know, every year we find out we're having to give back more of our money to things that we thought would always be promised to us. And while the amount that um, we're seeing from state funding um, has increased, you know, in, in total, that amount has not grown proportionally with our growth in enrollment. And so the amount that we're getting per contact hour is shrinking and shrinking and shrinking. So we only have, it's a bar stool, and um, we don't want to pass the cost on to our students, but we have little authority, as Richard was saying, to um, increase the amount that we're receiving through taxes and hardly any control over the legislature and what is coming back to us in state funding. Uh, I think you, you had gotten swapped and you were sending those. Good. Thank you. Uh, my name is Gerardo Lopez Mena. I'm the physician executive of community engagement at the hospital in McAllen, Texas. Um, my question is geared towards junior college students and medical, medical schools. So there's an article yeah. that came out yeah, in so academic medicine this month that showed that junior college students are biased against uh, into getting into medical school, so they won't accept them. Um, and the problem with that is that that same population is a population that in that same study says that they're more likely to work in underserved areas, so a very important population. So I'm wondering what your institutions are doing to help get students into medical school. I wasn't I even aware that. That, this was, that this was a finding, and I, right. I would love to see the actual... Yeah, exactly. I would love mm -hmm. to see the actual publication, and it sounds like we need to be doing more, but we certainly do everything that we can to encourage um, our students to pursue any goals that they have. Uh, so from our perspective, I don't see any of us saying, no, you don't want to do this. It sounds like we need to be putting more pressure on working with medical institutions, medical um, universities, you know, to help them understand the value of accepting students from community colleges. Um, but, you know, we all, I think we all offer the associate's degree of nursing. We would love to be able to offer the RSN, RN, RN to BSN, um, but right now it's not considered an applied baccalaureate. Um, so, uh, <laughs> you know, we want to do more to contribute to that, um, but I don't, I can't speak and say that we're doing enough. And I, I would add that at the, if, if at the end of your bachelor's degree or, or for some with the master's degree, if you've met the standards, if you if you have the grades, if you have uh, cleared all the hurdles, then I think that would be an inappropriate bias uh, that yeah, you were that you came from from a community college. So I, I don't think that's appropriate. And we, we need to be a part of helping you with that. Again, I, I was not familiar with that data as, uh, as well. And but, as, as Lyndon mentioned earlier, you know, we exchange data with our university partners and so we know how our students who transferred from our community colleges to the universities how they perform and when you take a look at the students who transfer from acc to the university of texas at austin or texas state university or any of them uh at one year after they have transferred they have a higher gpa and they have and they are more persistent towards degree than native entering students mm -hmm. at the university and so you know, providing that type of data, I think, is, is going to be helpful. Um, but, yeah, uh, you know, I and I'll give you another example. Uh, nursing programs, uh, the students who go through the nursing program, ACC, and take sit for the NCLEX, the RN exam, 98% pass rate, uh, higher than most universities in the state or in the country. And so uh, 
you know, the bias is unfounded. No, I agree. Well, right. okay. yeah. I would say that, you know, if you want to contact me, it's certainly something we can look at. But before we claim that the, debate, that the data are biased, we probably ought to know what the data say about students who start in our colleges and then transfer. But um, it's an ongoing debate, conversation. We, we are well aware, we fight it all the time, right, that somehow the quality of instruction in community colleges is inferior mm -hmm. to our four-year um, to four-year institutions, and there are just absolutely no data to support that claim, or that our faculty or are any less effectual. So, let the data tell the story. Right. Hello. Oh, mm -hmm. my name is Margaret. I graduated from the paralegal de paralegal department at ACC in May, but I've had a bit of a difficult time finding a job since then in the in the uh, paralegal. Career. So, what are you doing, not only like individual departments, but maybe as a full wide uh, community college to help your alumni? Because I've been to the alumni page for ACC and, it, and it's very, very small and doesn't give very much information. Uh, I, I will say that uh, there's a lot more we can do uh, on career uh, placement. Um, you know, but we, have, we do have an office. Uh, for career placement that, that tries to help students uh, find jobs. And sometimes, and one of the things that uh, I was talking about earlier is uh, taking a look at a combination of where, where the career pathway is and what the jobs in that region are. And so using something like Career Coach allows students to take a look and see how many job opportunities are there in that particular major uh, in, in that location, in that region. And, uh, you know, that helps to inform students along the way is, you know, is that the right career choice for me? Are there going to be opportunities opened up uh, for me or am I going to have to go on and, and get an additional uh, credential or a bachelor's degree or whatever? Um, but, you know, we're, we're somewhat limited by the jobs that are open and available. But uh, if you'll let us know, we'll get your name and we'll, we'll help, uh, help you with our career counseling office. Let me get one more question, and I'm sorry about the other two, but that you can come and grab these people. Uh, I'm obligated to say that um, afterwards. Uh, so please go ahead. Yes. Hi. Good, or good afternoon now. Yes. <laughs> um, I'm Stephanie Calder. I'm a former community college student. Um, um, thank goodness to Phi Theta Kappa, which I'm sure President Rhodes and um, President Williams knows as well. Um, I transferred to UT Austin to the business school on a full ride scholarship. And one area that I'm really, really interested in is the transfer process and how um, we can better make it um, so students don't feel the same way as um, freshman students are feeling. Because I think that's a little bit of a misconception mm -hmm. that um, they're coming in and they should be as ready, but they're really just coming in um, just as uh, freshmen who are coming to a new environment away from home. So um, I'm not sure if your community college has um, a certain program that helps these transfer students during the process. So my question is, which parties should be involved in this transition between community college and universities? And like, what proportion do you see that? Should it be more of a community college responsibility to help them transfer? Or should it be more of a university, the four-year university's responsibilities to help them um, make that a better transition? I'll share. Yeah, I'll, I'll tell you, we are through the both the PACE program that I talked about earlier and the Pathways program, um, UT Austin and Texas State, by our uh, counselors and our advisors uh, working together in those programs, we're learning a lot about that transition experience that uh, I think we can spread throughout the institution to other students who plan to transfer but are not a part of those two programs. And so we're taking that new knowledge or that learning experience and then spreading it to the advisors and counselors throughout ACC and the universities that we partner with. So I think it's, it, yeah, it's a I would, joint. Yeah, it has yeah. to be both. Yeah. It, uh, we, we have to do a better job. We, we, we have to continue to work at that uh, transition and transfer piece. But I think the universities have to as well. And we need to do a, a better job of engaging them on your behalf. And, and setting up those pathways and, and uh, checking those and making sure that they're, they continue to be wide open and accepting. So uh, it's, it's a mutual 
responsibility. And I think for, we've been so focused on, uh, you know, sometimes working with students who, who don't make it to where you are, and congratulations yes. on, on your achievement. It's outstanding. Um, so I think we have our own bias and spend a, a great deal of time uh, focusing on students who have a much less chance of succeeding. So you've, you've beaten, you know, and overcome the barrier. So, but we, that doesn't excuse us from, from spending more time with that issue. Yeah. Can so I ask you a question? And, and did you have any trouble with the transfer of credits um, from ACC to... Not, um, I actually went to uh, Northeast Texas Community oh, okay. College, so not a but um, I didn't really have very many um, credit transfer issues with UT Austin in okay. particular. Good. All right. Good. Excellent. Well, uh, I think that's going to do it uh, for us. Uh, thanks to everyone who came. Thanks to the panelists. Uh, before you head out, so this is lunchtime. Uh, things aren't going to start up again until about 1.45, but Texas Tribune does have a lovely treat for you out on the South Mall. Uh, we've got a sampling of uh, food trucks from around the area, so uh, please head out there to uh, the South Mall there by the UT Tower. Thanks again. <laughs>